think that's everything. Good day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Merged Worlds Dungeons & Dragons Story Stream Podcast Thing. <laughs> uh, this is episode 74. Wow, I didn't realize that. Episode 75. I'll have to do something special for 75. I think that's a big number, right? I have no idea what I'll do on episode 100. I have every intention of getting to episode. But I appreciate that you've come by today. Uh, give me the opportunity to share my tale. Let's see, we are at Enderboard Gaming's here. Hello, Miss Ashley. Jim will be there tonight. That's all right. Jim's a hardworking man. New couch to take care of, I understand. <laughs> um, today, we will be continuing our current tale. Excited to get into it. I did want to apologize that last Thursday there was no stream. Uh, normally, one Thursday I do this, the next Thursday I do Behind the Dice, which is kind of an interactive D&D podcast AMA thing I do. Every other week I alternate. Uh, last week I had to cancel because my wife had a doctor's appointment. Three hours to get to Nashville, Tennessee for it. And then on the way home, I started feeling sick. And by the next day, COVID-19 was in full blast. So... Uh, it's been an interesting week, but I'm here now, <laughs> and I have uh, hopefully a tidbit of story you all will find interesting. Today we will be um, going back to what I'm going to start referring to as Group 2. Group 1, the first group to leave Serenity was Seraph, Deacon, and Mugen. And then Group 2, going after them was Artis. Mave, Ran, and Petal. Uh, so today we are going to be doing Artists and Friends group. Now, um, I do want to say we will not very likely always be going back and forth one episode to one episode. There's some episodes we may do one group several in a row, or we may do both of them in one until they eventually get back together, maybe, if that ever happens, right? Try not to give away anything there, but uh, at least in the near future, or right now anyways going to carry on. So uh, from where we left off, brief recap, and then we'll jump into this. Uh, hello, Michael. <laughs> Getting the story tonight. Yeah, I, uh, I I have only ever in the entire time since doing Merge World have I ever had to cancel one actual Merge World stream, and that's because my power went out 15 minutes before the stream and was out for four hours. I will do my best to never purposefully miss a Merge World. Uh, so brief recap, as we know, uh, as I was saying, Deacon, Seraph, and Mugen were heading towards Arduel in the hopes of catching up with Seraph's love, Dina, and her family. Uh, unbeknownst about any of Dina's history that was put together by their parents after they left, they are headed, headed that direction only to run into uh, some interesting situations and the beginnings of what could be revelations uh, in not only their story, but in Seraph and Dina's relationship. Um, several days after they had left, Artis, Maeve, Ran, and Petal decided to go after them. Parents knew this was coming, prepared for it, allowed them uh, some gifts and items that would hopefully benefit them on their travel. Um, but they're in an interesting part. The parents know a bit of what's going to come in the future, and it's important that the children walk the path they were meant to walk. 
there's a lot of concern of anything we say or do might accidentally have an effect on the future because now we know things. Are we picking different decisions because of that? But in the end, they let them go on their own, and so they left Serenity heading after them. They did decide to continue towards RUL by foot and not take a realm gate, uh, which some people asked about. I want to clarify that. The hope was, of course, that Seraph and his friends would catch up to Dina and potentially start bringing her back to Serenity. No doubt that's his goal, is to bring her back to Serenity where she him and everybody else who protects them normally, right? All of our characters. So if in a, in a perfect world, uh, they would come across Seraph and Deacon and Logan already on the way back with Dina and family. Not, so be it. But, is that what's going to happen? Probably not. <laughs> that wouldn't be a very good story. Uh, but, so we're going to jump in. Hello, Inferno King. Good day. So, um, today's stream, I think, should average close to around two hours. This one shouldn't be a super long one today. Maybe even a bit shorter, depending on how well my lungs hold up. Uh, the more I'm talking and... I start laughing, get excited, it becomes a little bit hard to breathe. Uh, but uh, I think hopefully you should enjoy today's tale. Uh, so, yeah, we'll start with that. So, artists pedal Maven ran. They went rushing after their friends. Um, now, they have a lot of supplies. In fact, in many ways, they're better supplied than Seraph and Deacon were. Um, having the bag of holding their hand. Where Tandy Haversack was and called the bag of holding. Having their bag or backpack of holding allowed them to take a lot of stuff with them that their parents had already pre prepped for them to go. Um, they were given, some of them had items and gear that were already pretty good condition, but Petal was given a pretty magical dagger by her mother. Artis took a magic item, leaves, though she doesn't know what it is. For some reason, she felt drawn to it. Scepter that was down in the treasure room, though she had no idea what it was because her mother had found it. Um, Ran has his weapons father gave to him. They're not magical, but they're dwarven made, so they're incredibly sturdy. Also, that like Maeve, who already had top gear stuff because of becoming a paladin and her father. She was already pretty much geared. It's an interesting situation because looking at it from a Dungeons & Dragons point, these are first-level characters walking out on their first adventure with much better than first-level characters' gear. That's always something to consider, right? Whether you're writing just a story or whether you're writing a Dungeons & Dragons adventure. When your second generation or children of heroes are going to go out, they're not going to send them out empty-handed, right? Spent my life fighting evil and gathering weapons and artifacts and magic items that can protect me and the ones I love, sure as hell going to give those to my kids when they decide they're going to go marching out on their own, right? I, if anybody knows how dangerous the world truly can be, I wouldn't want my kids to go. So they are stacked in some ways with their equipment. Add in the fact that, like a toddler with a rifle, horrible mental picture, Inferno King, but yes, very accurate. Just a young person with something way potentially more powerful. And in the situation of artists, has that scepter. 
that scepter was mentioned 10 or 15 minutes a long time ago in this story. And if you remember, Mercy poked it and it tossed her across an entire room, a large room, such force that her armor dented, she busted into the wall and was knocked unconscious. That anyone could touch it just fine. That, uh, it was so powerful, even the wizards at the wizard's tower had no idea what they couldn't discern anything from it, only that it was incredibly powerful. So what it is, what it can do, why artists might have felt drawn to is another potential <laughs> interesting thing that we're not going to talk about today, but might eventually be a thing. Right? But yeah, so these guys are on their way. Not only do they have, like I said, gear and such, um, they also have wealth. I mean, they're traveling with a fair bit of money. All of them, their parents have wealth. In the case of Maeve and Artis, parents have extreme wealth. You know, um, Petal, Dandy also has extreme wealth, but she doesn't really live in a castle type kind of thing. They have their store and so on and so forth, but the store is more to help. It's not a money-making thing. The store is just a way for Dandy and Michael to still be a part of that hunter community, help other hunters with the knowledge, tools, and skills they have access to. Um, and then Rand, being a knight, he's a noble. His family's not poor by any means. They would have some some decent wealth as well, although I feel that Rand would be given probably the least of all of them anything his father would be like here's good weapons here's good armor you're protected you can fight a little bit of money to get you started go find your own way and and, and that not in a negative or hateful way it's uh i you know i want you to be able to make your own way i'm here if you need me but let's see what you can do yourself which toddler with a rifle usually the kind isn't it so they have more supplies right they have more gear somewhat i mean Seraph and Deacon have some gear that their parents have given them over the years that I've not gone into a whole lot of detail, but we'll talk about a little bit more in their side of the story. Um, even Mugen has gear. His, his weapon's probably the most powerful weapon out of any one of the children's weapons, even what Seraph and Deacon are rocking. Big's Warhammer was already a pretty powerful way back in the day. Uh, and so Mugen came walking out with a, a weapon that could fell a Maeve with a good enough hit uh, and probably has no idea about that. Um, but while they have all of those things, what they don't have is the speed. Seraph and Deacon are going to be able to travel very, very fast, not only by foot, Deacon's ability to increase his own speed with magic as well as Seraph's natural speed. We've already discussed how he Seraph could without trouble, carry both of them and run at pretty much full speed. Maybe not as long as he normally could, but a good chunk. It's assumed that they would eventually get some type of horse or, or mount of some kind. And they are in the lead. They're setting the path, right? Um, so, artists of them are a bit of a disadvantage. All they know is they're going to RUL. But they don't know the route. They, you know, they don't know that Deacon came to Mugen and be like, hey, can you take us to the route? All they know is Mugen went to. And they knew Mugen hardly at all either, right? Didn't have a lot of opportunity to get to know him. So how he's linked in this, they're not really sure. But they have to try to get there the best way they can. So they're going to be well behind. Then the other problem they're going to have is 
Seraph specifically trying to hide their tracks. He knows that if his father's coming after him, he's going to find him. Not going to be able to stay hidden from his father forever. But the more he can, the longer he can, the better off Head Start can get. But that means it's going to make it much harder for the rest of the catch up, just follow an easy to find path. So what they've decided to do is to head to Arduel more on a direct route, almost just straight northeast. Uh, this is going to take them through a lot of open area where there are not a lot of settlements um, and known settlements, let me rephrase. Uh, they would also have by far more maps and that information would have been provided by Mercy um, and the temple. So they have more actual land maps and such knowledge of that area. So it's easier for them to plot a course, but they're going to be traveling through an open area, which is more of a direct route. Because again, they don't know which way Seraph and Deacon went. They're hoping they went the same way. So there's no traps to follow. They do have the map. Now, at the same time, they're, not, they're trying to hurry, but they're not traveling with quite the speed because there isn't quite the urgency that they have. Um, they're not escaping at this point. So there are good ways behind. Even though they have horses from the beginning, they're going to be in a disadvantage. Uh, you can say group one, Seraph's group, is going to be slowly moving further and further ahead of them at the pace that they are going. And as they're moving on, and you, you also got to assume that there's some excitement to this, right? Hello, Condor. Except there's more of either Stinger Missile or Smolder. <laughs> Hello, Condor. Um... So you got to say there's some excitement in this as well, right? Because this is their first time out alone. Not only that, they have the benefit of going with their parents' blessings, right? So this is an adventure. Go out and help our friends. You know, go help save his lady. We're going to come home and be heroes and go back to doing what we were doing before anyways. Um, they would see this a little bit more as an adventure, right? A little more of a, hey, it could be dangerous and we got to be careful, but this is our first time out on our own. And... Uh, there is that that could end up biting them in the butt later. Their travel, uh, again, pretty straightforward. Weather isn't too much of an issue as they're traveling. They may have a couple of days of rain here and there, but there's no real like major storm areas or troubled areas that they have to travel through. Ran regularly scouts ahead. Um, artists and Ran are the best horsemen there. Um, artists because you know Mercy's love of horses and she raises and breeds horses. And then all of the knights know how to fight on horseback as, as a unit. So Ran would have grown up learning those same type of things as well. Maeve and Petal can ride a horse just fine. They would have that knowledge. But um, Maeve would have some knowledge of fighting on the back of a horse. Petal would not. It's going to be hard for Petal to cast a lot of spells while a horse is going along because not a lot of horses are Petal-sized, right? Um, this is a group that has a bit more height to it than our traditional group. Artis is the same height, if not a little bit taller than her mother. Uh, Mercy is actually pretty short. Um, Darsh and Maeve are close to the same height, of course. Uh, Petal is a little bit taller than Dandy. As of her half-human genes, she's actually already taller than her mother by about three to four inches. And then the last one is Ran, and Ran's almost 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, so before it was three really short people and a minotaur, now it's two medium-sized people and a minotaur and a short person. Uh, in this in this group, the mix-up that we have. Um, but it still ends up being three ladies and a dude. <laughs> I haven't really thought about that, but it is. Interesting makeup. 
So Rand is scouting ahead, keeping an eye out, looking for tracks and trails without any luck. Because again, they don't even know if they're on the same path. They're trying. Um, but he's, he stays up ahead and then comes back to fill in every so often. Um, I sit in my head, my horse. Yeah, a wild mage is another issue completely. Um, now Deacon, while he is a wild mage in training as well, he is the equivalent of a dual class character. He's a fighter mage. Uh, and he's learned to use his magic mixing with his physical combat abilities. And a lot of times his magic he would use to increase his physical abilities. A lot of his spells, his spell base would be a little bit more kind of the same lines as some of the battle mages we've talked about in Serenity. Uh, not so much to stand back, be protected and cast spells, but to be able to increase their his own skills, move faster, things like that. Um, so a lot of his spells he's that he's learned, he's targeted to learn specifically, are things that would benefit his ability to fight more as than to stand back and cast spells like a regular caster. Uh, where Pedal is the opposite. Pedal is much more of the traditional caster who stands in the back and casts the spells or the buffs on her party um, with the concern that the spell I cast might not be the spell I meant to cast. Always a concern for either of them as a wild mage. Doing good in these pandemics, Condor asks. Okay, I have COVID right now. <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> dealing with it currently, but overall I'm getting by. I'm better than I was a week ago for sure. So, they make their way without any real issues. They probably go through a couple small towns in Serenity before they actually get out of the kingdom. People recognizing them probably wouldn't think anything of it. Oh, there's the princess and her friends out on a ride, I guess. You know, they're off on their own. So, their track, their course as they have it planned, they go almost directly northeast. This is going to take them across a lot of open plains area. Then it's going to take them through a heavily wooded area. And just a day or two past the wooded area, there's a town called Worms Crossing. That's W-Y-R-M-S and Dragons. Uh, on the map that they have, it's one of the only towns that's actually listed by name. Um, because, again, Mercy and them aren't down in that area that much. They know of that area, but travel through here. This isn't information that they would need as much. So they've determined that at least this being a named city and on route, uh, it was even one that before they left, Mercy suggested, you know, that might not be a bad place on your way through. It's almost directly on your course, and it could very easily be a place where you could get some information, um, maybe even information Seraph of them had gone through. So that's their kind of basic plan. It's very exciting for them, you know, being out freedom without warrant. Uh, so how old are the kids at this point? Michael asks. Early teens. Great question. So Maeve is the oldest at this point. So Seraph is right at 20 years old at this point. Because uh, remember, he was like, he was he was 16 or 17. He was almost 17 when they went to the Kingdom of Firemoon. And it's been two, almost three years since that first adventure that has spanned at this point. So he's either late 19, early 20. Deacon and Maeve are almost the same age, and they're two years behind him. So Maeve would be right at about 18 or almost. Petal and um, Artis are almost the same age, three months apart, uh, and they're two years behind Maeve. So they would be late 15, early 16 at this point. Uh, Ran is actually the youngest, uh, and he would be just recently 15 
the last one born in the group. So Rand's the little guy, not physically, but in age. But great question. And I, every so often I have to go back and keep that count up. I have a tally sheet of how old they are and how many years apart, so I can try to keep that consistent. Um, but yeah, that's right at this point. So Seraph is right at about 20, close to it. Uh, so Maeve is the oldest of these three. And even so, very often, Artis is the one that is in more of a bit of a leadership role. It's not that she sought it. None of her friends begrudge it to her. It's just one of those things where it's just how it's always been. Artis has always had a bit of that, a bit of her mother in her, a bit of that commanding presence where it's like, this is what we're going to do. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. We'll do that. Um, and since they're best friends, her and Maeve, and their alignments, and I don't mean like India alignments, but they're actually like alignment with truth. One's a paladin of truth. One's a cleric of truth. Their goals 99% of the time are going to be the exact same anyways. They're out there fighting for the same commander, if you will. So um, there's a big, there's not, never any big issues or disagreements between them in what they should do, maybe once in a while in how they should do it. Not yet, but down the road. Rand very often will do whatever artist says. He will give his honest point of view. He'll give his, his opinion, but then whatever artist says, he does. Because he views himself, again, as a knight in training and wanting to impress that upon her. Petal's just happy to be there. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but it's true. For her, it's all about the adventure. Of all of them, she's probably just the more adventurous, I'm happy to get out there and see the world kind of thing. Her wanderlust was kicking in by this point anyways, as it does with all Kender, even a half-Kender. So they don't run into any real travel, and they actually travel for a good couple of weeks without a single problem. Across that open area, a little bit of rain, but again, just like with Seraph and them, food is plentiful. Uh, they're not traveling through any desert areas or swampy areas, anything like that. This area is actually pretty pleasant to live in, uh, the section that they're traveling through, uh, which is you know, north of Paxwell, heading towards Arduel. None of them have ever been to Arduel, though. They have met King Christopher on several occasions. Finally, they come across the large forest that they knew was going to be there. They're going to be traveling through the forest for a couple of days. And according to the map, there was a road that led through it. Now, when they got to this area, they're a little uh, surprised to find that the road was a road. At this point, it clearly has not been used in a very long time. It's in poor repair. It's still safe to travel-wise, but occasionally they may find a tree across the road or branches they have to go around, things of that nature, or just sections that have completely overgrown. Um, it's, it's a road that is not being regularly used. That's not to say no one's using it. Um, but as they're traveling through these woods, uh, within the first day, the weather changes sharply from like a late spring, early summer to a mid-fall. Um, Almost immediately, the trees begin to start looking more like in late autumn and the, like without leaves and so on and so forth. It's a pretty stark change. Um, and while they all know about these type of things, it's one of the very first opportunities they've had to see an actual dividing line of merge worlds, where one world begins and another world ends. Um, there's, Serenity itself doesn't have a lot of that. There's some within the... In the, this, the kingdoms area but not such a drastic difference like if you're traveling north of serenity in through the forest that leads up to the uh realm gate you pass the realm gate and keep going the woods change to a different type of trees completely uh because it's the, the forest is not the same as the forest in the southern half 
but it's still like a forest. You know, you're, you're still gonna find deer and whatever. I mean, it's not drastically different. Uh, this though is what's the first real weather change they've. Seen. And so very quickly, this world is the place they've stepped into now is later seasonally. Uh, not too cold for them. They have all the clothing they need to travel. They packed well. Uh, but they continue. This does, when they hoped to speed up their path, actually ends up slowing it down. And fallen leaves and such, and the road in poor repair. Let's see. Uh, so as they're traveling down this road, Ran, still a little bit ahead, comes across something he's very unhappy to see. And quickly comes back to advise his friends that there's trouble up ahead. Drawing their weapons, they make their way back up there. there he, was, he wasn't that far ahead. And they come across the sign of what was clearly some type of an attack or ambush. Uh, Infernal King says, you have frostbite or a heat stroke three feet apart? Very likely, yes. You can definitely go from freezing three feet of snow into desert by one footstep. Very easy to do. There's actually a second of, section of Merge World where there's a solid line between frozen and desert. Um, the heroes were very close to that way back when they came out of the sands. Remember they came out into the cave where in the top of that frozen mountain where Michael had found Menandra all those years before? Up in that area, this frozen mountains, they had to travel south on their magic carpet at the time to get out of there. Had they gone just a short distance to the west, they would have come across uh, quite a desert area up there. But there is one section where it's straight desert versus snow, though I've never really got to delve much into that area or had need to. What they come across is, of course, like I said, the signs of what was clearly some type of an attack. And it doesn't look good. They arrive, and there's a wagon. The wagon has been broken. The wheel is clearly half cracked off. Uh, whether or not that was done beforehand or not, it's hard to tell. But there's a, there's a dead horse on the ground. And the place has been pillaged. So... The mess of everything that was in the wagon is messed and strewed all across the ground. It's clear that it's been looted. Being very careful and armed, keeping an eye in case someone's still around, they begin to search to see if they can find anything or any signs of what it was. And they come across through it two young dead adult males. Um, they've been clearly physically slaughtered, uh, bladed weapons of some kind. Uh, and it was definitely not pleasant. It's an odd place for an ambush, because again, it's a road that most people don't travel very often, clearly by what they're seeing. But it doesn't mean nobody does, right? I mentioned that earlier. But as they're looking around, they can see that the horse itself has been largely butchered. And a bunch of chunks of the horse are missing. And as they're looking around and checking tracks and such, uh, it's easy to find that the goblins that did this did not try to hide themselves. In fact, Ran is very easy to find, has no difficulty finding their tracks, which are heading south deeper into the forest that way, away from the road. The first instincts are, of course, what do we do here now? These are all good people. People here who've obviously been ambushed and killed. But at the same time, do we want to get involved? We've got our own thing going on, Right. And there's not a lot of people around here to warn, per se. 
to say, hey, there's some goblins here, unless we get a, we come across someone. They're at this point only two, two and a half days from uh, Worms Crossing. Let them know in that area, maybe someone can come back. And that was originally what they were going to do. Their first thoughts were, it's like, you know, no sense rushing headlong into craziness. Got our own thing going on, so on and so forth. But then, about that time, looking through the things, Petal calls out. And they look, and she holds up a poor but easy to discern dress. They begin searching the clothes a little and stuff that's messed around a little bit closer, and sure enough, they find more record of women's clothing. There are no women bodies in this area as there were the two men. So very quickly, their attitude in the situation changed. If there were women and maybe children in the wagon with these two men, where are they and what kind of situation are they in? So it doesn't take them long to decide like, well, we're going to have to take a detour. We can't go marching off if there's innocent people that are potentially being pillaged by goblins up here. Can't have any of that. So they, <laughs> for things, drag, could be, could be. This situation, not so much, but could be. <laughs> but they're like, okay, we need to, we need to go look, look more into this. So they carefully start making their way through the woods. Now, Ran at this point uh, leaves his horse behind with the others. Petal's kind of got it towed behind his, and he goes ahead on foot. He is, while he is a warrior per se, he has some of the rogue training that his father has, almost a mixed class himself. And he can move much quicker and quieter on foot than he could with a horse. So he starts moving through quite quickly. Um, it's not long before. He makes his way back towards the heroes and stops artists and tells him what he found. He said, but a quarter mile up the road, well, not up the road, but up the way, there is another bit of a brick, an old road that comes up there and comes to what was clearly some type of small community at one point. Looks like there was maybe four or five buildings, not really farm. They're in the woods, so it's not farmland, but it may have been just a very small town or village of some kind. But that was long ago. There's only two of the buildings are even standing at this point. The other ones are just rubble, uh, and it's completely overgrown. Uh, he said he got close enough just to be able to see that there was a couple goblins by the door of one of the building, standing guard or just sitting there. It was hard to tell. He didn't stay around long, uh, but he believes that the goblins, at least, that's where they were headed to. They're living out of the old ruins of these homes. So they all start making their way in, this time a little bit more quiet. They tie off their horses and leave them off the way, hopefully they won't cause any noise to get caught. And they start going by foot through the path that Ran has best uh, determined. And in a situation like this, they know each other's strengths. They've grown up together. They know, you know, okay, we need magic, pedal. I hope it's not what, something bad, but go and do what you need to do. You know, and just jump on in there and do what has to happen. And when it comes to Ran, they're like, okay, Ran, what's the best way for us to get there quietly? And he'll just say, this way, follow me. It's not that he's taking control. He's, he, they're trusting him to do his job. They all have their own role to play there. And in their own mock practice, because they would have trained together, they would have practiced and such, much like Deacon and Seraph have practiced together a decade at this point. They're going to have experience tracking and hanging out and fighting and traveling together, and they would have these roles kind of laid out. So Ran leads them through, and their party order would be Ran, 
Artis, Petal, and then Maeve. So that's the party order that they are pretty much going to run all the time if it's a single file line situation. Like a regular D&D adventure. You got to know who's going to go first. Rand's up front because he's a fighter slash rogue. Art your two squishiest, which is Artis and Petal, even though Artis is nowhere near as squishy as normal. <laughs> a squishy. She still counts as a squishy. Uh, Petal, the squishiest. With Maeve in the back, much like Darsh. Very often he used to take this, the second place behind him. This time Maeve is in the back. So as they make their way up there towards the town, they get close enough that they can at least see a little bit of the distance, but because there's not a lot of leaves and such on the ground or in the trees, it's a little bit harder to get up close because not as much foliage to block them at this point. Um, now at this point, um, Maeve's first instinct is we need to go in there. Like we can't, we've no time to waste. Let's go in there and crack some skulls. You know, these are obviously minions of evil. They killed those poor innocent people back there who knows what they're doing to potential women and children inside. We have no, no time to waste. At the same time, artists is like, well, I understand that. I agree with you. We shouldn't just rush in foolishly. I'm not saying you're being foolish, Maeve. But I am saying that we should be a little careful. We know there's some goblins in there, but what if there's something else? Or worse, what if rushing in causes them to execute the women and children before we can even get to them? Maeve's like, okay, well, I, can, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't want that to happen. I don't want to do anything foolhardy. So they agree to see if Ran, to let Rand try to get up close and see if he can get a little bit more information on the layout. Lay, he does a, a long branch around to come up from behind the building. Uh, he doesn't go straight towards it, of course. He's trying to come from a distance, so that way as he's making his way to the back side of the house, maybe he can find a window, crack in the wall, something of that nature. He successfully makes it there without alerting anyone. Uh, it does get a little bit harder as he gets closer because the fallen leaves are dried at this point. Not the best situation for someone trying to be sneaky. At the same time, while it's not stormy, it's a cool day, and it's a little on the windy side. So just the trees rattling and clicking branches against each other does help a little bit. So as he manages to get close to it, even before he gets to the house, he can, still be, he can smell the goblins. Goblins are disgusting. They, they, of, all, of all the nasty races, the goblins are just disgusting. Uh, so he can smell the waste and the stink before he even gets close. And as he gets close to the back of the building, he can immediately see that this is a section of the yard that is normally used as a toilet. Not that anyone has ever dug a trench or latrine here. It's just where they go to go. So you got to imagine he's trying to tiptoe through a field of that. Right? And so he's trying to get through trying not to retch. Right? And he makes his way up to the backside where once there probably was a window, now it's just some wooden slats that are kind of hammered over it just all haphazardly where he'll be able to see through but he's got to be careful because the wall itself looks very very fragile the building looks like a sturdy gust of wind is going to knock it over it's actually a little sturdier than that but at first looks you're like how is this even standing you know there's definitely a hole in the roof at one end he can see from here um the front door which i said where there were two goblins standing there's not even a door there at this point it's probably laying 10 feet in the ground front of the ground, uh, the house just laying there covered in mud at this point. 
They're just living inside. How long the goblins have been here, it's hard to tell, but at least a short period from the amount of mess he's finding behind the, behind the house. So as he's, he manages to very sneakily get up to the uh, window and begins to try to peek in. He counts at least six to eight goblins in there. Could be ten. It's hard to tell because it is still got most of its roof, and it's relatively dark in there. There's a small uh, fire in the middle of the room uh, that's mostly smolders at this point. Um, so it's shaded inside, but not pitch black. Although we have to accept of the classes that are there, we have to remember there are two now, Artis and Rand, that have absolutely no in-provision. Maeve and Petal have some, although theirs aren't anywhere near as strong as what Artemis is used to be. Artemis used to be their long-distance looker, along with Mercy with her circlet. Uh, but Ran and Artis are limited with their human vision, and they have nothing to boost that at this point. What he's able to make out is, like I said, he says he's probably he thinks probably at least eight. He knows there was the two out front. And he can see two women tied together in the far opposite corner, furthest from the door. So to give you a layout, right? Here's the building. Here's the building here. Got the front door here. He's snuck around. He's looking at the back. Front door's on this end. Two women are down here in this bottom corner. He's looking from the back. They tried to come in the door. All the goblins, the fire in the middle, to get to the girl. Girls, there's two of them that he can. For a few minutes of looking, you can see some of them look like they're sleeping, or some in the corner laughing or whatever, and drinking whatever, and some just eating food. Which, whatever they're cooking, stinks horribly. He sees he has all the information he needs, and he's about to head back, when suddenly, he hears a noise in the woods behind him. He very quickly goes still. Moves back against one of the closest tree near the building that he can to try to block in, and Sure enough, as he's watching, kind of out of the corner of his eye, he sees a goblin come out of the woods the same direction he came. Whether it's a scout or someone returning from a mission, he doesn't know, but he did not have any idea there was a goblin out there that way. Well, this goblin comes over, and I guess before deciding to go into the house, decides to relieve himself. And literally just right up against the back of the house, removes his loincloth and begins to piss on the wall. Ran has a situation, uh, and without anyone there to ask their opinion, Ran has to make a decision on and decides to do what he thinks is best. So Ran very quietly slides his dagger out of his belt and begins to creep up on the goblin. Ran's very successful and gets right up behind the goblin before the goblin finally realizes he's there. And as he turns, the goblin probably at that moment was assuming it was another goblin, his eyes open just quickly, just a moment, before Rand's blade straight across his throat. Gaggling, trying to grit, and Rand holds his hand over his mouth and starts dragging him back in the woods a little bit, away from the house. So hopefully nothing will be heard. He does a good job of keeping that quiet. Rand, it was very quick, it was precise, and it was exactly what Rand meant to do. But even Rand's a little caught off guard by that. Because let's be honest, this very likely is the very first time Ryan's taken someone's life. Oh, very likely. Hello, Ghost of Sparta. Going well, thank you very much. Self? 
But his training kicked in, and he didn't really have to think about it. He did what he knew he was supposed to do. And that's one less goblin for them to have to deal with at this point. Because seeing the shape and condition of the two women tied up kind of pissed Ran off. He's already upset that they were taken, but legitimately seeing that really pissed him off. And so he took that goblin out very, very effectively and drags it back away from the building a little bit. Not real far, because he can't make that much noise and tries to gently move some leaves over it to hide it a little bit. Oh, no problem, Ghost of Sparta. I appreciate you coming by. I hope you have a great day as well. Thank you for swimming by. So now he's on the clock. The clock is ticking. Every moment, there's a chance someone might discover that body. He quickly makes his way back and around the same way he did before to get back to his friends. He manages to do so successfully and relays everything he saw and what happened. They agree he did the right thing. It's one less goblin that they have to deal with. So, at this point, they're like, okay, right, you saw the layout, and he draws it on the dirt, you know, with a stick, and it's and like in the movies. Here's the layout, here's where they are, here's the so on. We go in the front door, there's those first two goblins, they may call for help there, so on and so forth. Um, I could sneak you around the back to look, but there's no door back there, and we have to be real careful because the wall looks like it's about to cave in anyways. And they're sitting there talking about it and trying to come up with a plan. And then Maeve has an idea. She goes, you think you could get us all back behind the building? Rand looks. Ah, she goes, I have a tiny bit of reading. Chip Tooth chewed on the last of the meat before tossing the bone to the floor. He loved the taste of good horse meat. The other goblins in the old house were either eating, sleeping, or gambling. Chiptooth tried to decide which he'd rather be doing next. With a quick look to make sure the prisoners were still, still tied up, he rose from his bedroll that he had laid against the wall. Smiling at the two women, he couldn't help but think they'd fetch a few coins on the slave market to the south. He stretched and decided he'd like to see if he could win some of his coin back from Trag. He knew that idiot had cheated him somehow yesterday. Determined to figure out how. Looking around, he decides he's about to start heading that way when suddenly he hears a strange sound from behind him. Imagine, his goblin, he was against, leaving against the wall, gets up, stretches. He's about to go walking more in the room and he hears a noise behind him. He kind of turns to look at the wall. A loud thumping noise seemed to go louder and louder and faster and faster. He couldn't quite, almost like someone was hitting a wall, and then louder, but almost like something was getting closer. He turned, looking at the wall, confused. What would sound like that? And then the wall exploded open. Maeve comes bursting through the wall. Rock, the wood, I should have said a bit of a rock base with wooden frame. Explodes into, and she tramples across the goblin, just coming into the room. The other goblins are completely, what the hell, start to rise up and see what's going on. By the time they're on their feet, she's already used her huge two-handed sword to cleave the head off of another goblin. She's no sooner in through that hole in the wall than when Ran and Artis are immediately behind her, right flanking her sides to help fight the goblins. So the goblins are completely caught unaware. 
All they heard is some big heavy thing going thump 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 like the like a big hairy Kool-Aid man. She just comes smashing through the wall. Tramp I mean you can imagine the boards and wood just falling down and just crushing the goblin under her. She weighs well over three hundred pounds without her plate mail on that she is currently wearing. She would have got geared up to fight. The goblins start reaching for their weapons, and melee begins as you'd expect. <laughs> Petal comes from behind them as well, but with a different goal. She starts immediately going wide around them, trying to get to the two women tied up in the corner. Her job is to try to get them free and get them back out the hole, while her three friends are trying to either deal with the goblins or at least deal with them enough to keep their attention off them. Hello, Rose. Welcome, welcome. Um, as Petal is running in that direction towards the two women, she sees that there was one goblin near them, and he rises because he sees her coming. His friends are all fighting the monstrosity that is angry Maeve with Artis and Ran in there. But this other one decides that little Petal would be uh, a little bit easier of a fight to pick. I'm doing well, Rose. Well, pretty well. Still a little sick, but doing okay. Hopefully you're all right. As she comes running, the goblin pulls out this great big club. It's got some type of big tooth or fang or something off the end of it. Looks pretty sharp. And he's got it. He just comes over to kind of block her. She doesn't stop. She keeps running and she begins the casting of a spell. He draws back in his club and he's just going to literally just crush this little girl who's not even trying to move. The last moment she releases her spell. As he brings his club down, it just bursts into about a hundred butterflies. And wings and color go everywhere. You imagine that, right? You're swinging with your big, heavy club. You've got that momentum of weight. It's, it's almost like you threw it. All of a sudden, it's gone. Momentum, he slips and stumbles forward, shocked that his hands are now empty, tumbling right into pedal and the knife that she's holding. Three quick stabs in his chest, and he falls to the ground, and she, almost without breaking a stride, keeps running. He gets to the two women and begins starting to cut them out. Tied up. The women see. Of course, the women would have been awoken when Maeve comes oh yan through the wall. I'm doing well, Muttley, and yourself? <laughs> and that bust through the wall, they would, they would have caught them, their attention too. Petal begins cutting them free, and they could see this is someone here to help them. Now, at this point, Maeve, Ran, and Artis have just wiped out half of the goblin. There actually end up being ten of them inside, and the two that were outside came in as well. But it doesn't take a couple minutes of just Maeve and friends decimating surprise goblins who weren't prepared to fight, caught unaware and in limited space, as several of them go busting back out through that door and flee off into the wood. By the time Petal manages to get the young women back towards the hole in the wall they came through, Maeve, Ran, and Artis are standing surrounded in goblin bodies. All of them bloodied up. They probably took a couple hits themselves. The goblins would have at least had a few lucky strikes, if nothing else. But, sure enough, they were able to do successfully, largely in part to the surprise that they were able to get off on that. Ran and Maeve go out the front door just to make sure none of the other goblins are coming back, while Artis comes over to see to the two women along with Petal, making sure that they're okay. Um... She has minor healing spells, and the women definitely are going to need them. 
Um, none of them were injured enough that they really need a, a magical heal at this point. So she does use some healing on the women to help them out. While she's doing so, she does kind of look over at Petal because she saw Petal's little uh, skirmish over there and said, hey, that was a pretty good spell. Petal gets a little red. She goes, yeah. Tried to light it on fire. Art is like, oh, well, it still worked very well. I was like, yeah, it did, didn't it? Thank you. <laughs> but she's like, fire! <clears throat> Not exactly what I wanted, but I'll take it, you know? And that's one of those situations where it's like, I still kind of got what I wanted. Tried to burst it into flame. So, the women, of course, are overwhelmingly grateful. Crying. Turns out that there were young women, and that was their husbands that were back there. They were traveling southeast as well. Farm. North, they had started, they got married and such, lived with their parents, and were now heading southeast to try to move with family and such. Like an aunt and uncle, they were going to get some land to, uh, given to them by their family to, to start their own farms. Unfortunately, they were ambushed coming through the woods, their wagon, and so on and so forth. Our heroes, of course, are like, well, you know, we can't just leave them here. So we're a couple days out of Worms Crossing. That's the approximate area they were going anyways. So they decide to take the two girls with them to make sure they get them down there to where their family was, make sure that they get taken care of. You love Petal? <laughs> Ashley loves Petal. <laughs> so yeah, since they're in that direction, they decide to go that same way. This is, of course another slowdown, right? They've only got four horses. So they're not going to be able to racing as fast as they wanted to now that they have these two young women with them as well. One's probably riding with Pedal, one's riding with Artist. Well, Rand still goes ahead and you don't, there, there's really not any way to put anybody else on Maeve's horse. That poor thing is going off already. Uh, but, but, you know, Artist and Pedal being smallest would be easy to ride with the other so they're, they're, they, just, they continue on. They get down, gather up what few things they can find in the wreckage that might be salvageable of their possessions. They do take a few moments to or an hour to, to bury the bodies of the, the loved ones. There's, it's, there's just no way they can take them with them. But they do continue on. They don't stay long. In case there happen to be more goblins in the area, that's all they need are the few that escaped. To come back with more. <laughs> Inferno Kick says, that's animal abuse. Poor Mabe's horse. Now, as I mentioned before, Mercy always breeds several large horses for when Mabe's father is there. So she has some large minotaur-bearing horses. So this horse is going to be bigger than any of the other horses, but still. And she's got her plate mail on. She probably weighs more than her father did. Darcy didn't like to wear a lot of armor. Went shirtless a lot. <laughs> they take the two women with them continue heading to the southeast what was going to be a two-day trip is now a three-day trip due to their exhaustion in the state they're in they are having to stop earlier in the night and rest longer for the sake of the two women the healing spells again to make sure that everybody's up and topped off so that everybody's in good shape they did search the house before they left they found maybe a few miscellaneous coins but other than that, nothing really of value. Even the things that were taken of the young people's, uh, most of it was destroyed or just wasn't that good anyway. Anything, nothing they'd want per se to be looted. No weapons, no magic, no jewelry. But they did probably get some coins out of it. 
they probably would have tied them off in a little bag and tucked that down in the bag of holding, thinking we're going to have to find a place to wash these coins because they stink like goblin. Which nobody ever talks about in D&D, right? You're looting the bodies, and it's assumed the bodies are now dead, probably through violence, uh, and they stank really bad beforehand. These may not be the best-selling coins. Maybe a vomit-covered ring that you're taking off somebody's finger, you know. May not immediately be appraised for the value you think it is. You, know, you have to get to a get to a river and wash all that stuff off before you try to take it into town and sell it to somebody. Interesting thing for if you're your player characters, if you play D and D, to remember: don't forget to wash your treasure before you pass that on to sir some poor innocent person at the inn. Here, buy these coins. These coins smell like horse shit. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. That's where we got them. <laughs> They, uh, the smell of my enemy's souls, Inferno King says. Very much. Souls of their feet. <laughs> smell of, smells of their loincloths, maybe. Ugh. So their two-day trip to Worms Crossing is now a three-day trip. It's putting them yet another day behind, plus the, the half day they lost just going through that whole situation. Um, and this is the first time that they're getting a little concerned that, about time. You know, they knew they were behind, but like, ah, we'll catch up eventually. They're like, oh, wow, that put us even further behind. What if something else pops up that puts us further behind? However, are we going to catch up to them? Legitimate concern. So, the three days that they do travel are without incident. They aren't running any problem. The young women, who I'm not giving names because it's not important. <laughs> They're not, they aren't going to be around after this are uh, very upset, of course, you can imagine, about their situation, loss of their husbands, loved ones, so on, what they had to go through. But overall, they're, you know, not hysterical or reasonable, and they are able to assist where needed. And, you know, like, I mean, traveling, they're not doing their best not to keep, you know, hold them back and such. But eventually they do make it to Worms Crossing. So Worms Crossing sits on the intersection of what used to be two major highways. Now, that was before the merge. After the merge, the large cities that used to be to the east and west of Worms Crossing no longer existed. They didn't come through. The cities that were north and south didn't either, but they were replaced by other towns, farmsteads and such, and then with Arduel to the southeast. So the road that runs mostly north and south still gets a fair bit of travel, but the road that goes east and west does not. And it is from the west, of course, uh, our heroes are going to be coming into the town. Now, it's a fair-sized town, right? Big enough to have probably at least two inns, multiple businesses, several homes. It's been there for a while. And on an intersection like that, you could imagine it would be a pretty good place to have a business, right? It's even back in the day before merge, from the city, 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 people passing through there to get to the other place, need a place to stay, get some supplies, sell their goods. It's not, it's still doing okay in that regard, but not as well. Um, they're far enough away from Arduel that there's not a ton of people coming through here, but local farm communities and such that are in the area still do come through. So it's it's hasn't grown since the merge. If anything, it's gotten a bit smaller, uh, but the city is still populous enough that it's got a, quite a few people. Um, so as they arrive, uh, they ask for directions 
uh, to a an inn where they could get a bite to eat. Their goal is to find someone, these women can find where their, their family is in the area to get them back with them, gather the supplies they need, and try to get out of town. They plan on trying to spend the night here originally, but with the delay that they've been through, they're like, no, we're going to have to push on through, see if we can get our supplies and get out of here as quickly as we can. The end that they're pointing towards is the silver scale, and the keeper, innkeeper, a man named Jonas, a large, jovial man, very friendly, uh, and his wife, Mora, uh, invite them in. Yes, come in. Have, you need rooms? You want a meal? And artists and begins to tell the tale of you know, what happened to the young women and such. Uh, you can imagine that of the four of them, Maeve is the one who draws the attention. Right. Um, very often, back in the day, Darsh was the first thing people knew. But and there was always Artemis, and that was like offsetting it. Ah, he's here to protect Artemis. The fact that Maeve, being a knight, a paladin of truth, is traveling with artists totally makes sense. Anybody seeing those two people come walking up, there's a cleric of truth. There's the paladin protecting her. That makes sense to me. They would that, that would not be a shock to anybody. Um, Pedalin Ran. Ran at least looks like he's you know he's in his gear and such, but he looks like he could also be a protector uh, or or a guard for artists. Uh, and Pedal just looks like you know hanging out. Would a shirtless female mentor be considered inappropriate? Hmm. Um. That depends. In Minotaur society, probably not. I would say that rarely a, a female Minotaur would go around topless, but you know, fighting in the arena as they do and fighting side by side in wars and such, man, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't got time to worry about being decent when you're trying to take out the enemy, you know? And it's a society where literally men and women are completely treated equal. That's, that's one thing of, of the Minotaur society before any others. That's, there's no problem there. Just as good as you, you pick up a sword and you beat the shit out of somebody, you're 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 my buddy. Let's go. You know, if you have that capability and you fight honorably and all the type of stuff, I don't care what your gender is. Um many times that uh Darsh has fought side by side with his wife in the arena or certain areas like that. So no, I'd say in Minotaur society, on a daily basis, it's probably not something that happens, but it wouldn't be a huge shock to the world if it did. Um, but be knowing the way other societies are, a female minotaur going into a human kingdom or an elven kingdom would probably be more likely to make sure they remain clothed and such, uh, just out of the respect of the, the way those people are, you know, their beliefs and such. Um, but in minotaur society, I don't think they give a damn, to be honest with you. You know, they're more worried about how well you can swing a sword than anything else. <laughs> Fair question, though. I've never had anyone ask that, and that's interesting. I like that. Um, so, um, Jonas and his wife hear the tale of what happened and such, and they're like, oh, that is horrible business. And they're like, do you know where so-and-so is? And it's the aunt and uncle. They go, yes, they have a farmstead outside of town. Uh, we'll take the girls here. We'll make sure they're okay. And then, um, you know, we'll get one of the gentlemen, take them out to their family's house. Uh, tomorrow we've got someone going out that direction anyway, so we can get them back with their family. So artists and their friends are relieved. Excellent. You know, we're going to get these girls back with their family. Um, 
artists probably gives them a little pocket money to get them started. You know, here's not much, but you know, here this will probably help you get started again. We know you lost a lot of stuff. These coins really stink, but no, I'm just kidding. You wouldn't give them the, didn't give them the stinky coins. I'm just kidding about that. Just you know, here you go. And it's one of those weird situations um, where can you imagine artists is in a situation where she would have to say here have a bag of coins with my mother's face on them potentially my father's face potentially my face here gold and silver coins copper coins that have my family on it you know that's not something artists is comfortable with you've never draw attention to it. you know may uh, mercy hated that type of recognition but understood its purpose the people would want that kind of a thing. So um, even if the coins don't have her face on them per se, it would definitely have her family's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, not, uh, emblem, emblem. We'll, we'll go with emblem, I think. Hello, Tyler. Good day. Welcome, welcome. So here's some coins with my family's. Here you go. There you go. And the girl's going to get taken off by Jonas and meal. So they order some food. They're going to get a hot meal. They haven't had a hot meal now in a couple of weeks of traveling. Uh, and then once the meal is done, they plan on going out, getting some supplies and preparing to go. Um, let's see. Crest. That's the word. Thank you, Michael. Crest is the word. Appreciate that. Um, so barely have they had time to begin eating when a man enters the inn. Looking around, sees them, and comes directly towards them. Artist sees this and is like, now what? <laughs> we got them here okay. We didn't do it. We killed the goblins. What do you want? That kind of a thing. Ugh. So, the man comes up and apologizes for bothering Introduces himself and says, Hello. I am the mayor of this town. And he introduced himself as Bretus. Bretus has been the mayor here for three or four years at this point. He's probably in his early to mid 40s. Uh, got just a little bit of belly on him. Looks like he's probably a business owner as well, um, but seems decent enough. But he definitely has a concerned look on his face. And he comes and he sits down and he goes, I must say, I apologize for interrupting your meal. You must understand, folks like yourself come into town, that kind of information gets around quickly. Not a surprise. Um, Artem Artis is not wearing anything that would show her to be a princess at this point, and they've determined they're not going to say that unless they need to. Uh, at this point, she is just sister Artis. And because she, she's not mother Artis, that high in the rank of the church or anything like that. Technically not lady artist yet either. She's not high enough to do that. Artemis was sister Artemis before she became lady Artemis. There was some work put in to get to that. But sister artist and lady Maeve. Now Maeve is different. She is a paladin. She is of that. There's no higher rank. There's just you are paladin. 20 year paladin and a one year paladin. They, at least in the Knights of Rowan, which she's a part of. It doesn't matter, one or 20, we are equal, we've got each other's back, that's how that works. 
But when I became a paladin, when I graduated into that, I got that temple lady or sir or ma'am, lady or lord. So Lady Maeve, definitely much so. He said, I, I, I again, sorry about folks like yourself coming to town. Everything gets around quickly, and I'm going to be honest with you. You couldn't have come at a better time. I, I would hate to bother you, but I really, really could use you. And they're all looking at each other like, okay, what can we do for you? Even though Artis has a feeling she already knows. Mayor Bretta says, we have in custody a mannequin. Accused of several different crimes. And he's to, ha he's to go on trial. That's pretty much all he had to say. Because as a cleric of truth, it is very common for them to be asked or needed to serve as a decision maker in a trial or act as a judge. That is one of the functions of a cleric of truth. When they're out traveling around, often they'll come through, through a town and they'll be like, there are, we're having two people who disagree about something. We would like you to make a decision. And it's not just because you're you. It's because part of that training and the magic, what they go through, as seekers of truth, help them, you could say, better I think of a word here as someone who, who is more likely to find the truth I can ask questions in a way that's more likely going to glean me the truth I'm more likely to define the thing in what you're saying to be the clue that points me towards what I really need here that search for the truth and that constant uh, desire to have it uh, is part of that and so they're trained to question they're the type of person who will answer a question with another question you walk up, hey, can you do this? What do I do about this? What do you think you should do about it? You know, so they're one of those people who will turn that around and try to use a little bit of mind scrutiny to, to, to get the truth out of what they need. The hard part for them is they can't lie while doing it. Right? you got to imagine that. You are a cleric of the truth. Ask to find the truth. Can't lie to get the truth. That's just not supposed to be. Investigator, that's the word I was thinking for. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, better investigator. So very often as they travel, there will be clerics that that's just what they do. They go from town to town and say, do you need me for this? Or very often they'll, you know, someone go to that. Now, artist knows this. She would have been trained for this type of thing. It's something that they would have thought could have happened. Although it's not something artist has ever had to do. Because in Serenity, if there's any major trial or anything... It's Mercy and Ulrich who make those determinations. Unless it's something that happens in the temple, and then it's usually going to fall to artists, unless it's something that's in the temple but serenity affecting, and then at times like that, even artists will cede jurisdiction to Mercy, and rarely have there been any friction. In that regard, just because how well they work together. So artists has seen her mother provide this function, this feature of her, of her job, knowing one day, she was even if she hadn't become a cleric of of truth. She was one day going to probably be the person who did that in Serenity. Choose life and right? You got to comes with a job as a noble. But with her training, knowing this is going to come in, this is not a shock. It's something that they thought could happen and was a concern because it could sure as hell slow you down. Just like, they're like, yay, we'd love to help. 
Everything is slowing us down. This is not what we need right now. Artist says, can you tell me a little bit about what happened? Yes. So, the town baker, whose name is Baker. That's not that uncommon in medieval time that people would take the name of their profession. Town baker, a very well-liked and popular man, states that the man we have captured in our jail right now and an accomplice kidnapped his daughter, 15-year-old, and stole personal items from him and physically assaulted him. Now, the accomplice, the young girl, are gone. No one's been able to find them. Man in custody has refused to give any information about it whatsoever. Not even to defend himself. Won't speak, which is surprising. Now, he says it like that. He won't speak, which is surprising. That's the thing that ticks off on Aris's mind. Why would you, you didn't say anything, but that's, why would you say that? Why, would, why is it surprising for this she jots down in her little mental mental notepad right there. Why? That's a question for later. And that's that's really what everything is. I mean, the main goal, the main job of any cleric of truth is to ask why. Why is this? Why did this happen? Why did you do this? I have to get to the bottom of this. Did we do it for the right reasons? Why? They say the mayor says he's very concerned because... He's known Baker for a long time. And as I mentioned, he's very popular in the town. I'm concerned that the accused may not get a fair trial for fear of it could be a friend of that person standing on a council or chosen to whatever the case is. Someone such as yourself does this, a true neutral party, is the perfect situation for this to make sure that the young man who's accused gets a fair trial. Hello, midnight. Art, yes, I know it's exciting. <laughs> Artist accepts part of her duty when asked, unless, you know, straight up it's going to cost the lives of others, she's in the middle of an emergency. She's supposed to take this on. And she's, yes. Um, I will, but the trial will have to be today. We are on a quest of quite importance. We'll definitely, I will take the time to do this, but it will have to be done today that we might be able, we'll be able to continue before nightfall. Our pressed, we have to go. Mayor's like, no, I understand that. We can, I can have everything ready in like an hour at the town hall. If you can be there like an hour, quick trial, in and out, get you out of here. They're like, okay, uh, yes, we will do. So it's like an hour, two hours. They're given a short period of time. They quickly eat their food and decide they're going to go and place the order they need for all of their um, supplies, right? They've traveled for several weeks now. In the woods where it went fall, they didn't find a lot of food and such in there, so they went through some of their stored food. They go to a couple different stores of general goods, you know, maybe... Not the baker, but, you know, somebody with food and such. Maybe even from the inn there and say, do you have food, meat, bread, cheese, things we could buy from you? We'll pay well. Again, they brought a lot of coin with them for these type of things. 
They're like, okay, if you can get this food ready, we got to go take care of this whole, you know, life and death thing. But then we'll come back and get it when we're done before we leave. So they're, they're, they're giving a list of the supplies they need. Plus, the other thing I didn't mention, of course, the last three days they were feeding two extra mouths, right? So that's extra food they were having to feed, a, a feed out that they hadn't accounted for on their original travels. So the mayor sees to it that their meal is paid for at the inn by the town, which is common. When you, if they were going to be spending the night, their rooms would have been paid for as well. It's common if, if someone's come into town of this nature and they're going to act as your your judge or your jury, then you're going to pay for their lodging to do so. Again, it's one of those hand-in-hand -hand things that they would expect. And this isn't something I really talked about with about this facet of their job because this is the first time that in Merge Worlds, I've got to spend some time talking about other clerics, right? We've had clerics of the light and clerics of healing. That's been the two main clerics. We've got Kelvin, who's the nature cleric, right? Or the uh, harvest and bounty. But outside of that, that's pretty much are the main clerics that we've been dealing with. Um, I can assure you that in this storyline, especially when considering the fact that the gods have their chosen in play for this game of gods that uh, we're going to see a lot of different followers and clerics of different uh, of the merged world's religions throughout this storyline for good or bad. We will get to see a lot of the different clerics and how their place fits into this new merged worlds. For these guys, it's as the, it's as a judge. So once they get everything set up and they're ready to go, we'll be back in a couple of hours. We're going to go here. They start to make their way to the town hall. Now the town hall is a very large old building. Actually, it's bigger than either of the inns that they saw in town. Probably one of the earliest buildings here. It's much older than everything else they see, but still in pretty good shape. They arrive inside to find that already a fair amount of crowd has arrived. Uh, this is a bit of spectacle. Learned that there wouldn't wasn't a lot of... Uh, this doesn't happen that often, especially for a, you know, a local a local matter to be judged by something like this, you know, like a cleric who's traveling through. Especially when you imagine, you think about how some people are going to feel about this. Ashley says, "Yay, clerics!" It's true. We're going to see a lot more cleric stuff. I promise you. Uh, we're also going to see a lot more wild mage stuff, which I'm excited about too. Um, imagine this situation, right? People wanting. A neutral party. This is someone who's trained to be a judge, a seeker of truth, type of person you put your faith in. Excellent. This couldn't be better. This person will get to the truth of everything. And the 16-year-old girl walks in. Now, it's a 16-year-old girl, 16-year-old boy. Doesn't matter. You're like, what's a 16-year-old going to be able to figure out? That we couldn't have done our... You can imagine there's going to be a few people with that mentality, right? Like, it's not like some 50-year-old cleric came in. Yes, I've been serving as judge for 30 years. Like, oh, this is the guy. It's like, hey, this is my first time. You're like, is this for the right? You know, is this what should happen? But people have already heard that there's a cleric in town. So when artist first walks in, there's a bit of murmuring. Like, oh, wow, she's awfully young for this. And then ducking through the doorway, Maeve steps in. And everyone's like, oh, oh well, all right then. Because everybody heard there was a cleric, but no one mentioned Paladin. 
Maeve standing taller than anyone else in this room by far with her huge two-handed sword on her back. She's in all of her plate mail again. Artis is in her best cleric robes. For this is an official thing. They're back into their best clothing. They're not... When I say nice clothing for Artis, it means she's not wearing her armor. When I say nice clothing for Maeve, it means she's wearing her armor. If that makes sense. Every night before bed, Maeve's polishing and greasing her plate mail. I mean, you have to keep careful of that stuff. Even if she's not wearing it. It's on a huge bag on the back of the horse, right? It won't fit in the bag of holding. It's just too big. Half the time, she's wearing her plate mail, but she keeps it in immaculate condition. So the crowd goes to a much, much more hushed when Maeve walks. Now, Rand and Petal make their way to a little seating area, and the mayor kind of has some chairs you can sit in and has them kind of sit over to the side of the way where they can see what's going on. Tell me Maeve punted a six-year-old. <laughs> <Punted> a... <coughs> oh, goodness. Oh, when I laugh, the COVID kicks in. That's funny. Maeve punting a six-year-old. That mental picture is going to be in my head forever. Oh, I love that. Well done, Tyler. My goodness. Artist comes in with Maeve. And there's a place, a place where you would stand or sit, where artist takes her seat, and Maeve goes and stands beside her. Um, well, it's very obvious artist is going to be the one making this decision. Maeve's also of the same god; she's got every right to be there. And from a point of view of sitting in the audience, this young woman is here to give judgment. That person's here to execute judgment. That would be the first thought of people sitting there looking at that. And that's not the case. It's not Maeve's job to distribute punishment, even if someone's accused of murder and they're going to behead someone. It's not Maeve who's going to step in and do that. It's not her job. She's also a seeker of the truth. But she's willing to seek it a little bit more violently, if need be. But that's the image that you would see of this young woman and this huge minotaur and plate mail, whose sword is probably as long as half the people in this room. Now, the mayor, of course, introduces them. Sister, they would have asked, how should I address you? Sister Artis and Lady Maeve traveled from the kingdom of Serenity. Again, they're not actively advertising who they are, but they're also not trying to hide who they are. Again, they're not trying to lie in any way. Omission is different than lying. So forth. Everybody probably in, the, in this area of the world knows there's a huge temple up there. So a cleric from the temple of Lady Artemis's temple. Like, Artemis? Artist? That sounds hmm, interesting. Not an elf, though, but interesting. People might, somebody might put that together, but, you know, take a gamble. So, introduces them where they stand. Artist, after sitting a moment, stands and says, We are honored to be asked to proceed, or to preside over these proceedings. In the, in the search for truth in this matter, I will represent my Lord Zorn as a fair and neutral judge. In doing so, all here have agreed to accept my judgment. If there be here any man who would dispute this authority, let him speak now before we begin. So that's, that's one of those things that... How they would start, he probably pulls out the rule book. And, okay, I got to go there. Miranda writes, Miranda writes, here, I got to read this. I'm here to be a fair judge. 
This is what we say. It's kind of those things that if the if another one came in five years from now, he'd start the same way. If you have anything by by accepting my my role in this, you agree to stand bound by my judgment, not to be disputed. That's the end product. There's no appeals court for this situation, and then give them opportunity. Anybody have a problem with that? And they would honestly want that. We're here for the truth. If you have a problem, let's talk about it. Let's work it out before we get into this, and then it becomes a problem. But no one says anything. So at that point, so be it. Let this trial commence. He sits back down, and the mayor steps up and calls out to bring in the accused. A door opens in the side and from a small off chamber. Two of the town guards come in with the prisoner. This man, immediately, you could tell he's a half-elf. And a very, very attractive man. Although, one of his eyes is blackened and completely swollen shut. There are several other bruises and cuts on him. Before saying anything, Artis makes a mental note of that. She's like, okay. Happened before or after? They said he wouldn't say anything. Hmm. The mayor states that this, the accused, Capernaus Ravensbreath, is charged with theft, burglary, assaults, and kidnapping. Now, the half-elf is just sitting there looking miserable, looking defeated, like he's got no shot in hell. Sitting on a table... Sitting to the other side is another large man who is introduced as Baker. The Baker is, in fact, a large man himself. He's probably a good 6'6". Of course, he's a meaty guy. He's a, he's a baker. I think we all can imagine if you work in the bakery. I grew up in a bakery. I'm not anorexic. There's reasons. But yes, you know, I'm just saying. I'm a big guy, right? I am not skinny. Anyway, this is the guy. He's eating in there. He's got that stuff. He's a big guy. But he's a meaty guy, right? So he looks kind of like the, like, not just... I'm trying to think of a way of describing this. He's not as much a fat dude as he is just a really big dude. He's got some fat on him, but he's just a girthy kind of dude. But he's, he stands up because they introduce him, and they ask, the mayor says, Mr. Baker, please tell us in your words what happened. So Baker rises, and the man is well-spoken. And as he's talking... Artists and Maeve and the others can see that people in the audience are nodding their head. This is someone who is trusted. This is someone who's, who's known in the community. Baker states, as everyone here knows, this bard came to the city a little over a week ago. I must say, many young maids were, of course, attracted to hear his songs and tales, as were young men and adults. He goes, I went myself to one of the inns when he was performing, and I will be the first to admit the man has skills, a wonderful singing voice, enthralling tales. I enjoyed his performance very much. And I thought nothing more of it. Then a couple days later, I'd stepped out from the front porch of my shop, because he lives above the bakery. Bread maker. That kind of, not desserts. I found Anna speaking to the young bard. Anna is his daughter, 17. 
Now, again, I thought nothing of it at first, but over the next few days, I noticed he was coming around more and more often. Every so often, I happened to find him in the shop talking to Anna or outside talking to Anna. Daughter's a young woman. She's an attractive young ass. This is a world-traveled bard. Another good-looking young gentleman. And I won't lie when I say I feared for her honor. Now, I took Anna aside and said, I know he's a nice man. I know he's pretty to look at and pretty to hear, but he's not from here. He probably won't stay long. Don't give your heart away to someone who's just going to crush it. Asked her to please stay away from him for her own safety, which she's promised me she would. Now, over this same time period, it became known that this bard has seen slumming around. Kavik. We all know Avik, or Kavik, I'm sorry. We all know Kavik. Works occasionally at the inns, works occasionally at the stables. We also know he's the son of what the, our city's most notorious town drunk and thief. lie when I say I never trusted the boy. And I know many of you here say the same. Apple far from the tree and all that. But I thought, well, at least he's leaving my aunt alone. Let them be off together and make trouble somewhere else. Leave my daughter alone. And then two nights ago, I was awoken by sounds downstairs. I didn't know what it was at first. It's cautious. My mind, nothing like I thought what I'd find. She had just come downstairs, and there was those two men with my Anna. She called out to me to save her. I immediately rushed in and tried. Bard attacked me. Well, Havoc made off with my girl. Now he goes, I'll, I'll admit, it's been years since I've had to actually fight. It's some in my youth, of course. We've all had taken our turn on the city guard. All had to deal with a drunk one point or another. People murmuring agrees. But I'm not a professional swordsman. So I must say, the men almost got the better of me. But obviously not a warrior as well. And I'm a relatively large guy. I was finally able to reach over and grab one of my pans and hit him across the head. Knocking him out. By then it was too late. Rushing out the door, there was no signs. And now, he has been arrested, and even though he's been questioned thoroughly by the guards and our fair mayor, refused to give up the location of his accomplice where I can find my daughter. I can't even begin to say where she is at this time. Breaks my heart. This man refuses to even help himself. What he has done, punishment can only be death. Because, you know, kidnapping, you'd imagine that, right? Not the type of thing they just give you a ticket for. Of course, the crowd murmurs in agreement repetitively while he's saying these things. After he tells his tale, he sits down. 
mayor, has several other people step forward and people who witnessed some of the things that the baker said. Yes, I saw the bard talking to his daughter by his house. Yes, I saw the bard hanging out with Kavik uh, over behind the stables and like they're plotting or whatever the case was. Several people who witnessed several of the things he saw. Of course, none of them were inside the bakery that night, but they could still speak to the outside the things that, that, that went on that could be corroborated. Let's see. But after they're done... Let's see here, let me see here. Witnesses speak. Okay. Several witnesses saw the cab with them. Yes, Mayor. Now, the mayor says now. All right, I, I would like to say something as well. I agree. Kavik's father was a thief. He was hung as a thief years ago. But I must say, the boy has never been in any trouble with the law. Never had a problem at all acting like his father. Baker pops up. Yeah, he's never been caught. You were friends with his father. So, how much can we even trust that? Oh, you can imagine the murmurs popped up after that. Things finally calm down. Artist is there and says, I thank you all for t speaking to me, giving me the information you have. It has been most helpful lay out a timeline and to help me get a picture of what has happened. Now I must ask that the bard, please, speak and tell me his side of the story. Now one of the men with the baker pops up and says, don't let his pretty voice trick you with his lies. Again, murmur from the crowd, people nodding, this time a little bit louder, yeah, you can't be trusting him, damn half-elves and stuff like that. Barge slowly rises as if he's to speak. When he does speak, his voice is quiet, but concise. You can tell what he's saying very clearly. He looks straight at artists when he says, the baker speaks much of the truth. That's all he gets out and the baker pops up. He admits his crimes. Tell me where my daughter is, you scoundrel. God starts to get in a bit of an uproar, and the mayor's, calm down, calm down, everybody, let, let him speak, calm down. This time the bard speaks a bit louder. Yes, he has spoken the truth, but he's twisted that truth for his own ends. Articles, I will hear your side speak. Thank you. Yes, I came to be friends with Kavik, a young man, sorely punished for the crimes of his father, crimes that he was not a part of, nor did he commit. It was no thief, just a fool, a man in love. And Anna loved him in return, and the two wanted to be together, run off and be together. And was afraid, you see. Anna was afraid of her father, what he might do if she tried to leave. Because of the things he's already done. The type of abuse the poor girl has had to go through is immeasurable. Now you can imagine it that. Baker and a whole bunch of people in the audience jump out and start yelling. Lies. 
trying to get off all the cheering and the guards are like okay we got our hands on our swords now but there's two of us probably a couple more in them by the door but they're like there's a crowd of people got some problems here artemis art or artist calls for order order she probably got a gavel or something bunks a little bit <laughs> i like that tyler banging the gavel i'll have order please order but the crowd just gets louder and louder and begin pushing and yelling and it almost looks like the audience is starting to sway almost start to move towards the bard who's starting to look a little little frightened i looked defeated now he looks frightened artist is being ignored Maeve steps forward and when full voice screams, Silence! And brings her hand down on the table in front of the baker. The old wooden table cracks in the middle and falls into two pieces. The baker, the mayor, and the entire audience are like... The room goes dead silence. Sister Artis has called for order. You will show her that respect. Any man, this point forward, who speaks without her leave, I will personally remove your tongue. Audience looking at her, looking at the audience. <laughs> They're like, <gasps> people are falling back. <gasps> Goes back and stands next to artist and goes. Artist is like, Ave. Damn. <laughs> yes, order, please. Artist giving the side look at Maeve like, Christ, dude, you'd have to break the table. Tells the bards, continue your stale, uninterrupted. Continue, bard. Bard says. I agreed to help them flee. Nothing more. They wanted to be together. They were afraid of this man. I had made a few coins here in the city. Happened to have a few skills that might be able to help her sneak out quietly. Meant no harm to anyone. In fact, I was just trying to help them. A nice girl. She was a nice boy. And they just wanted to be together. Yes. Gavik and Anna took several things from the home, but those were Anna's possessions, or what few she was allowed to even have. And she, they took some food from the bakery for their trip. They'd be happy. Stretch my neck for that, so be it. When Anna came down, or when, when the baker came down and saw Anna, yes, Anna cried out, not for help, in fear of her. I told Kavik and Anna to run. I'm not a warrior, but I could maybe buy them the few minutes they need to get up. You can see, I didn't do as well as I would have hoped. Even at that, you're, you hear a couple little snickers in the audience at that, like, well, that's kind of funny. <laughs> He's like, hmm? He goes, quiet again. Eventually, he hit me with something, and I was unconscious, and I woke up in the city jail, where I'd been the last two days. No, I haven't spoken of where they've been, and no, I will not. Brought back to this hell of a life that he wants to give her, there will be no part of it. He sits back down. Clearly, he's finished. Artist is like, 
Well, clearly we have two very different versions of the same events here. She does not stroke her beard. That's me. You're listening to this audio. I'm stroking my beard. That's not ours. She doesn't have... <laughs> She's like, two different points of view on the same events. And many of the things the witness witnesses claim to could fit either story perfectly fine. Then we're in a situation, aren't we? The only people in this room who were in that bakery that night are these two people. And so we must move a step forward. With your permission, I will cast a spell of truth saying, you will each give your decree of guilt or innocence. What you're saying is true. Spell will tell me. I will tell punishment will go criminal so she turns to the bard first bard will you willingly accept offer to cast a spell on you actually detect lies not you have to tell the truth but it's my ability to tell if you're lying she doesn't have to go into the fact. She's just explaining how these things work. But she's going to cast detect lie. Lying, she will know. In case you're wondering what actual spell I'm talking about. The bard says, yes. hundred times yes. Cast any spell on me you need. It's like, hmm. Turns to the baker. And you, baker. You also... Accept my spell? A moment of silence, and everybody in the place is kind of looking at the baker. As that moment goes longer, people in the crowd are like, Why are you taking so long to answer? Why not there? Baker says, Well known, I don't trust magic. Well, I'm sure your magic is fine. How do we know it's even truthful? How do I even know that the magic you're casting and what you're saying it does can be believed? Turns to the crowd. You all know me. You know I don't trust magic, but how can we trust strangers to make our decisions for us? Well, that stinks. Because the audience is like, because these are the people we trust with these things. Why? Because this is exactly what they're for. This is, this is why their God gives them the ability to come down here and find the truth. That's what they do. And you're not willing to fall into that. Somebody said that. You're not willing to, you're not willing to do it, and yet he is? Now, friends, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that magic isn't always, re, you know, and, he's, and he, he just starts digging himself a hole. An artist once again bangs the little gavel and the place goes quiet and everybody looks at Maeve. <laughs> just grab their mouth over their tongue like I wasn't talking Artist goes so be it then I accept and respect your choice but if you would decline then I shall choose to pass judgment without the spell I find the bard's tale to be the truth he is to be freed immediately and all of his property returned to him we shall speak of this no longer Now, the crowd, some murmuring still of, I don't know, that's okay. And some people 
Time to switch. Some people are like, yeah, yeah, it's probably for the best. Well, with this Baker guy, though. You see the looks of, now the people are looking at him like, what else do we know about you? The Baker stand, stands up, leans on the edge of the table that used to be sitting in front of him. You can't do this, he says. Looks very angry. She is my daughter, and I will have her back. Mayor motions to let the bard go. Not good enough for Baker. Baker's wearing his Baker apron. That's what... Reaching underneath, he pulls out a knife and lunges. Runs forward around the table, lunging at the bard, screaming out. The guards, not expecting this. And moves pretty quickly for a big guy. Not as quickly as Maeve. Maeve is suddenly between him and the bard. Not expecting it, she reaches out and literally smacks the knife out of his hand. Like enough force that his hand can't hold on to it even if he wants to. And she's not wearing gauntlets at this point. She's got really tough hands. In anger, Baker hauls off and punches Maeve clean across the face. Hard as he possibly can. And the place goes quiet. And Maeve just turns and looks down at him with a really unhappy look. He realizes how badly he's fucked up. And he opens his mouth and begins to take a step back like, hey. And she just reaches out and grabs him by his collars and pulls him up close and says, this little girl hits back. And then just bashes her forehead, that bridge of where her, her horns would be, straight into the middle of his face. And his nose basically explodes as it crunches literally sideways and mushes slightly into his cheek. With full force, she put her forehead directly into that man's face. And the, the man just falls back onto the ground. He's not dead, but damn is he hurt. Maeve's got some blood coming off her forehead. None of it hers. She's not wearing a helmet either. She doesn't wear a helmet. The mayor immediately begins yelling out Baker's to be arrested. Get him. Drag him out of here. All a healer, but get him out of here. He's just completely all the blood just pouring out of his face. Two guards reach down, grab him under the arms. The same two guys that brought the bard in. They're like, oh God, this is so much heavier. And just drags him, drags him out the side door. Now this, the audience, plot a little bit. They're like, damn, Maeve. Like, even they're like, man, she backed that up. All right. Okay. Because the majority of people in this room, not real happy to find out the way he was treating his daughter. Especially all this situation that happened right here in, in, in the court case. Artist steps up and hands Maeve a little towel. And she goes, oh, thank you. A little handkerchief and starts wiping that off. Um, but, oops. Here. Anyways. Okay, and she wipes off the blood. She goes, oh, thank you. Yeah, that didn't, I didn't need that. Yeah. And the mayor's like, everything's done for today. Nothing left to see. Everyone make your way homes. 
Exit out the doors. Come on now. We don't need a crowd here. Everybody leave. Starts, you know, with a few guards were around the doors are starting to usher people out, you know, before anything else happens. Before 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 Maeve decides to be angry at anyone else. Like he's not mad at Maeve. Dude totally agreed it. But he's like, listen, we don't need to provoke her any further. Okay? She could take us all out. Get out of the building, okay? The crowd leaves. Everyone's packing out. Petal and Rand come over, and you can tell they're doing everything they can not to smile. Like, they're fighting their, the whole time. They're sitting there, Maeve breaking the table, Maeve growling at the people, saying she's going to cut out their tongues, Maeve smashing her face into somebody. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, they're trying not to laugh. Because they're like, yep, that's Maeve. I'm surprised she showed restraint. <laughs> You don't know how lucky you guys got off here. <laughs> kind of thing. Of course, the uh, the mayor comes down uh, and bring the bard comes over and the mayor apologizes to the bard. I apologize. You know, I did not know the story. To be honest, didn't tell me any of the story. Had I known, I, I might have tried to do something sooner. But, you know, I'm sorry that this happened. And sure enough, they come in and the guy, they've got a sword in a bag of his stuff. He has a small rapier that he wears, and he clips it back on his belt, and he's got a guitar lute-looking thing. Want to know what he looks like? Capernaus Raven's Breath. Kip to his friends. Half-elven bard. And that little guy yesterday. Yes. That's Kip. So, Bard accepts his apologies, so on and so forth. Artist goes, well, our work here is done, and I'll be honest, this is not quite how I planned or expected this to go today, but the important thing is, we got to the truth. She turns to the Bard and he goes, will Anna and Kavik be okay? He goes, yeah. They had enough coin to get them well away from here to a place where they can start a life of their own. A place where he won't be held responsible for the crime. And that, the mayor kind of smiles, because the mayor was his friend. (laughs) So they excuse themselves, they say goodbye, they go back to the stores to pick up the goods and the supplies that they'd ordered, packing stuff into their magical bag, which you gotta imagine... Yo, everybody's weird, like, yes, I'll take that huge thing of bread and puts it in the backpack, and they're just shoving stuff in his backpack, all Mary Poppins-like, right? Like, you know, throwing it in there, and like, why, how's this all going in that one bag? All right, so anyways, it's Capernaus. And, uh, they go ahead and pack up their stuff, they go and they get their horses and proceed to start heading back out of town. Maybe spanking everyone's booties. Making her making their way out of town on towards Arduel. Everything that went on. Now they seem to want to get rid of, away from the town even faster. Like we can get a few hours before night. Go out there. We can camp on the way. Get out of town. Things begin to go down the road, and up ahead, coming the direction, they see a man on a horse. And sure enough, it's Capernaum. Capernaus is on on a horse as well, and he comes up and thanks them again. They're like, "It's it's no problem. We're happy to help." He goes, if I may ask, I apologize to intrude, but uh, 
even though judgment went my way. The baker still has a lot of friends in this town, and let's just say I'm not sure how safe it is for me to be here right now. You'd mentioned to the mayor you were heading towards Arduel. Seems like fine of a place as any as me. I was wondering if I might be able to travel with you, at least as far as the city. Uh, he's got his eyes still. He goes, as you can see, I'm still not in the best of shape to travel, uh, but I have my own supplies. I ask for nothing. You, no money, no anything. Just looking for safety and travel companions. And you already have shown to be better friends to me than most people I've ever known. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, might I join you at least to argue well, and then maybe there I can find a, an inn to buy my wares. Artisan Maeve. Well, let's talk about it. They chat about it for minutes. And they're like, yeah, I mean, why not? He's a nice enough guy. And he already helped this Anna people. He seems like a pretty stand-up dude. And he didn't. He took a beating and didn't even give her up. So that's something. So they're like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, we're, we'll be moving relatively quickly. He's like, no, that's fine. To be honest, I'm happy to get away from here as quickly as possible. They're like, excellent. Well, then, yeah, let's go. So the companions begin heading down the road towards Arduel. They have a road that will take them most of the way now, so they should hopefully be able to make a bit more speed. And as the heroes proceed down the road, you people who might be nearby could hear the beginning strumming of a song played from the back of one of their horses. And that's where I'm going to stop for today. It's a few minutes earlier than normal. We got to the point that I wanted to get to pretty close to our two-hour mark. Be just a smidgety shorter than normal, but yes. Capernaus River's breath, Kip to his friends, has at least temporarily joined the party. I, uh, I get asked a lot of questions about bards. I, uh, as a whole, I think I've made it known, not a huge fan of parts. Um, mostly because of the way most people play them. Not everybody, but way. So, um, no one in Merge Worlds for a very long time has ever wanted to play a bard. So there were no bards. I thought this was a... And there have been several bards that have popped up as NPCs here and there, but I thought it might be nice to bring uh, a bard in, at least temporarily. At least give a taste of what a character of that nature could take like, because... A bard is one step away from a cleric of Leiliana. Leiliana is the goddess of beauty, song, and art. The muse god, if you will. So, um, pretty much all bards, artists of any kind, worship her. And she is a, a god of good, or god of the light, I should say. Um, yes, today was a little, bit, uh, a little bit different. A little bit of combat fight stuff at the beginning, and then a little bit of... Uh, building some of the repertoire of the characters because being in a position like they were today not be the last time that they may be asked to hold judgment over the lives of others whether they wish to but the big things i wanted to do today give a little bit more character stuff i really wanted to show some of their interactions and i'm, I'm going to be going into that a little bit more depth with them as we move forward um, because I, I feel like Seraph and Deacon and now even Mugen, I've, I've put a little bit more time into them, into the story where I've got to talk about them more, even before all this adventure started. So they're coming with a lot of backstory and baggage, like in a good way. 
Uh, and while these characters I've talked about a lot, their motivation, personal drives, I haven't got to go as deep with these characters. So I'm very excited to finally have that opportunity. Um, and I think you will very uh, be very happy with the direction these characters and their motivations and their things may take them on this journey. Uh, because sometimes the end of the journey is not the end you thought you were going for when you started the journey. And everybody has their own things they're kind of looking for in life. So we'll see where that takes them. But the other reason I'm going to stop a little early today is because I'm having a little bit of a hard time breathing. <laughs> My lungs are a little sore from all the talking. And uh, I need to give them a little break. Uh, but thank you all very much for coming by and let me tell my story again. I appreciate it. I had a good time. Please remember to click that like button. Even if you're watching this 10 years down the road, it would be awesome if you wouldn't mind. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the channel. Uh, I do Merged Worlds here every other Thursday night. Thursday nights in between is Behind the Dice, which is a bit more of a live AMA D&D podcast where we talk about different D&D stuff while I work on different things for the adventures and things and get to talk about just D&D, my experiences DMing, and I get to help answer questions people may have about Merged Worlds as well. So uh, feel free to swing by there. Uh, Merged Worlds is also available on iTunes and Spotify as an audio podcast, completely free. If you have an iTunes or Spotify account, it would be phenomenal. You wouldn't mind giving them a follow, uh, rates and stars and reviews and all that stuff. That would be great too. The more of that stuff that gets, the more eyes it gets put in front of. And I just want to share my story. <sighs> Thank you all for letting me do this. I get to do this because you guys keep coming. Uh, well, I know it's not the most popular of my content. Uh, you folks who are into it, are really into it. And I appreciate that. I really do. And it motivates me to want to do more. I promise there'll be many more Merge Worlds to come. But next episode, uh, two Thursdays from now, will be episode 75. Hmm. I may have something special planned. We'll have to see. But thank you very much for coming. Hope you all have yourselves a wonderful evening and a great rest of your week. See you again very soon. Thank you.